Hi, I'm Brianne Bennis, and this is No End in Sight, a podcast about life with chronic illness. I have a few quick notes before we get started today. First, I'm still behind on transcripts, but I'm making progress, so I haven't slowed down the publication schedule just yet. Second, I realize that I haven't said this explicitly on the show in a while, but I just want to acknowledge that I recognize that a lot of the stories I've shared so far have come from cis white women specifically, and I would love to share more stories from people of color and non-cis folks. And also, I recognize that those groups aren't mutually exclusive, but grammar is failing me right now. So if you've been thinking about sharing your story and you want to know more about the process, then head to noendinsight.co slash share your story with hyphens where the spaces should be, where the spaces should be. Third, somebody nominated the podcast for a WeGo Health Award. So thank you, mystery nominator. I think that there's a lot to be said about advocacy awards that are sponsored by healthcare corporations, but I'm also really excited for the chance to get the podcast in front of new people. Now let's get to the show. Today, I'm talking to Gareth Brescia about chronic inflammatory response syndrome, which is usually abbreviated as CIRS, possibly Sears. He talks about the cost of healthcare and the impact that chronic illness has had on his career. Plus, he takes us down some of the treatment dead ends that he's explored along the way. Before we start, here's my disclaimer. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Make sure you talk to your practitioner about any questions or symptoms. So, um, well, I like to get started by saying, were you healthy as a kid? Yeah, I was really healthy as a kid. Um, We can probably just really fly through my my childhood. I mean, I had, you know, some, uh, some ear infections and some you know, sinus issues and a headache here and there, you know, but never any hospitalizations, never any mystery illnesses. Um, I had mono when I was in college, but I just, that, even that barely registered on my radar. Um, I remember being tired. Yeah. I remember being tired for like a month, but I don't even think he like took me out of action at all. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, pretty mild. Um, and in my, like roughly 25 to 35 ish. I was a professional musician and I was on on tour for some of those years and that's a really hard life. And um, my body held up just fine. So yeah, I was really, really healthy uh, almost my whole life. Um, I guess we can fast forward to, well, there was like a really, you know, super traumatic event where like I, I got sick and I haven't been better since and I think that's kind of different than most chronic illness people like usually there's kind of a long slide into it mm-hmm. or like in your case you've got a lot of weird things as a kid um, I guess we'll get to that but in retrospect I'm thinking that there were some warning signs mm-hmm. so in 2008 so I would have been I was born in 73 so what's 2008 minus 73 uh, 35 uh, yeah uh, uh, my my then girlfriend now wife and I uh, moved to Madison, Wisconsin, uh, for me to work on a PhD, and um, things started kind of going downhill there health wise. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we had an awesome time in Madison, and we we really miss it, and probably the best years of our lives, um, at least for me. Um, but I started sleeping really poorly, um, just waking up constantly, and um, I mean that got to be really bad at times. Mm-hmm. 
And that and was the so we're at the beginning of of everything. So right now, yeah, things are pretty much fine. You're in school, but your mm-hmm. sleep starts to suffer. With yeah, no sleep, explanation, you know, really. Right, my sleep starts to suffer, and uh, I had sort of some GI issues, basically like chronic diarrhea. Um, so that kind of went on for the four or five years we were in Madison, mm-hmm. and you know how doctors are they they're wrong more than they're right yeah. <laughs> um, and you know nobody was able to figure it out with the sleeping issue it was just like oh you're probably stressed from graduate school you know you'll be better when uh you're done with your phd blah 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 and were you given anything to try beyond stress management or did anyone have any like five years is a long time to not be sleeping yeah. very well and i know you kind of get used to this stuff but also yeah. probably yeah. go through spurts of experimenting I mean, I discovered that lorazepam really helps with sleep, I mm-hmm. guess, was kind of kind of the only, like, pill that really helps me to sleep. Um, mm-hmm. But you have to be really careful how much you take of that. So, you know, you can't do it every night. Yeah. Um, and I was also, like, drinking a lot and not a lot, a lot, but, you but know. But being enough. a grad student. <laughs> yeah, being a grad student and, um, you know, having a good time. Um. I stopped eating gluten at some point, kind of maybe 2012-ish, mm-hmm. um, and that might help. But I think it helps a little bit with just like my general mood, but mm-hmm. and my stomach didn't really help with the sleep. But okay, so I guess we'll fast forward to 2013. So again, you know, basically really healthy, um, nothing out of the ordinary. I mean, I, I rarely got the flu. I rarely got like anything. I mean, I never missed work for for any reason. Um, so summer of 2013, kind of like out of the blue, I, I get this email from uh, the University of Houston, which happens, Houston happens to be my hometown. And it's kind of a long story, but my mom got my CV to someone in the dance department who got someone, got it to someone in the music department at, at the University of Houston. And and they kind of popped up with an, an emergency need for an adjunct. Hmm. And I don't know how much, you, uh, Brianne, or, or your listeners know about academia, but it's it's uh, it's kind of its own thing. And the job market in, in my field is just really bad. So, like, getting an opportunity to teach was just enormous. So there was, like, no question at all that I was going to accept this job. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, I got the job, like, six weeks before the semester started. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we lived in, Ma- in Madison. So just, like, pack up, Yeah. you know. Chaos. Get across the country, yeah, total chaos. Try to get ready to teach, like you know, for the first time, being uh, you know an actual professor. Um, and I did it. You know, we uh, wife and I got to Houston, and I got ready, and and I had just an amazing time teaching that year. I just absolutely loved it. So fall 2014, spring, uh, fall 2013, spring 2014. I just absolutely loved the students and loved teaching, and and just felt really awesome to to be in charge and. Mm-hmm. It was just just awesome, but at the same time, I was just so stressed and so overextended. Um, I mean, my course load was really big, and the pay is terrible, and you know, like no health benefits. As an adjunct, specifically. As as an adjunct, yeah. Um, and this was before the Affordable Care Act had, had had come into play, so you know that's stressful. Also, trying to finish my dissertation, you know, finish my PhD while I'm teaching. I mean, th- I'm not exaggerating to say I probably work 60 hours a week. Mm-hmm. I'm a person, you know, I've kind of always known this about myself, but I'm I'm realizing how kind of important this is and and how how damaging it is. I've just always been really hard on myself, 
and like blaming myself if I didn't. Well, it's the job market, you know. I I have a, I have an older brother who has um, a couple of kids that are just awesome. My my niece and nephew, and and I remember um, I guess it was around Christmas table this this past year. Someone asked me like for some like you know avuncular is that the right word for like an uncle I think it is avuncular yeah, um, sure. advice about like like life or something and and I was like real snarky I was like well basically like you know being good looking is 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 the key to life and I was thinking about that and and I, I wish I hadn't been so snarky and and I wish what I had said was um, the key the most important thing in life is be kind to yourself mm-hmm. and it's taken me four and a half years of being sick to realize that. Yeah. Um, but I, I was not doing that when um, before I got sick. Yeah. You know, even though I was just so, so working so hard and just so overextended, like I still like insisted on like going to the gym and like, you know, swimming a mile like five days a week. And I wasn't doing that for like the joy of exercise. I was doing it to kind of like uh, I could almost like punish myself in a way, like push myself so hard. And, and I, I don't know why I was like that, you know, and I don't think I will like, be that like that again whenever I get better. Mm-hmm. But so this is all just to say that I think my 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 mental frame was not super healthy around this time. Mm-hmm. So like summer of 2014, I just I felt like something was wrong. Like I woke up in the morning and I just I felt just horribly depressed and sad and and, and just so stressed out. So anyway, we fast forward to the fall of 2014 and classes start again. And well, this, so this and is your teaching. second year teaching. Yeah, my my second year at U of H, they they renewed my little adjunct mm-hmm. contract, um, and I had actually more classes this time than I had the year before. And again, I just really, really love the teaching and love the interaction with the students and all that, but just super stressed out. And then I guess we get to the the event. Um, so October twenty fourth, two thousand fourteen. Um, I remember that I got a a paper into the National Music Theory Conference, which probably to most of our listeners is like, oh my god, big deal. But it, it's kind of a big deal if you're trying to get a job as a music theorist. Um, it's kind of one of those rites of passage. Yeah. So I got this paper into the national conference, and I think it was like November second or third is when it, that was going to happen in, in Milwaukee. And so I was going to give the paper at, at at U of H as kind of as practice. October 24th, 2014. That's that's the day, man. Um, yeah. So, as I said, I, I've been having a lot of headaches, like, leading up to that, like, kind of severe. But I just kept working and kept pushing. And I remember that day pretty distinctly, um, giving my paper, like, 3 in the afternoon or something. And, and um, I hardly ever drink Coke, but I remember I got, like, a Coke from a machine to hope that, like, the caffeine helped with my headache. And, um, and I just remember really not feeling well that day, just kind of bad headache and... Anyway, so I give my paper and that and that's all fine. And, and I go back up to my office, which was actually a practice room because I'm an adjunct. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, maybe 45 minutes later, I just I don't feel right. I'm gonna head home. Um, and I, it's hard to describe how I felt. I just I didn't feel right. Like I was kind of like clammy and like sweaty, and I knew something was wrong. Mm-hmm. Like flu-like. Got, uh, just really, really hard to describe. Just I don't, wrong. Yeah. And, you know, this is one of those things where I've had so many people ask me, like, well, what are the details of how you felt that day? And like, I didn't take notes because I didn't know it was going to be a life changing event. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I got in the car and drove home and I think I got home about five or something. And 
you know, I got home and my, and my wife was like, you don't, you don't look well, like you should go lay down. And, mm-hmm. and so I did. And I mean, within like an hour, this headache just like blossomed into this. It's just like a, a bomb went off in my head. It was just incredible. Um, and this, I'd never, never experienced pain like this before. Never knew it could exist. It, you know, it just felt like someone was stabbing my brain with a, with a sword made of ice or like something, you know, it's just yeah. awful. And and was it anywhere besides your head? Was it head focused, like migraine almost? Yeah, it was really head focused. And certainly migraine was one of my early diagnoses. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd never had a migraine before. So it would seem odd that you would develop that at age 41. But I guess it happens. Yeah. Um, so this just an insane headache that went on for like three or four days. Um, I, I could barely do anything but just lay in bed. Um, for several days and but I think I got back to work like the next week on like Thursday or something mm-hmm. and you know even more work now piling up and more stress and um, you know I just thought okay I had a bad headache it's gonna go away you know headaches they come and they go away so it took maybe a week or two for the headache to go away and I did have some like uh, like sensitivity in my eyes to like light mm-hmm. I'm a big baseball fan, and and I remember that year uh, was the year the Kansas City Royals won the World Series, and I remember sort of watching the World Series, but like the TV was too painful to look at, mm. so I just kind of laid down with my eyes closed and listened to it as yeah. like as my wife watched, you know? Yeah, or like old school um, baseball on the radio, kind of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, the headache eventually went away, um, but then it started to be replaced by this like weird dizzy feeling that I have struggled to describe for years because I guess what I say about it is that like we have words for things that are within the normal range of human experience. But like if you're experiencing something that um, you've never felt before, like what, what words do you put to it? Yeah. You know, I call it dizziness, but it's not really accurate. Right. It also kind of feels like, I don't know if you get car sick, but you know, I, I've always gotten car sick if I try to read in the car or something Yeah. and you get this really fuzzy kind of just really uncomfortable feeling. So it's kind of like that, but without, um, like a stomach component to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like, about that with vertigo sometimes or like vertigo is a word that is associated mm-hmm. with dizziness mm-hmm. and the feeling that I have had that I've called vertigo it's like, is this what people mean when they talk about it? Or is it a yeah. totally different thing? It's like, I feel kind of like I'm on a boat. Like, I can't walk straight. But yeah. like, we're kind of guessing when they're not a part of our everyday experience. Words are yeah, hard exactly. with chronic illness. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it's, yeah, it's not vertigo because, like, the room is not moving. And mm-hmm. I'm not moving within the room. It's neither one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um. So anyway, this, like, the sense of dizziness just... It was like for a while, I either had like a really severe headache or I was dizzy like on any given day. Just all the time. Um, and I kind of preferred the headache because like that's a more normal human experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, just kept kept working, kept pushing and just every day hoping I'd wake up and, and I'd be fine. And I remember like fall and early, fall, uh, end of 2014, early 2015, like I had a few days that kind of seemed fine like I remember Christmas Day 2014 like I more or less felt okay a couple days in like January I kind of felt okay um but then eventually it just kind of settled in and Mm. just this weird busy feeling yeah and um 
you know, obviously this is when I started saying doctor after doctor and incorrect diagnosis after incorrect diagnosis. Um, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have been through this. Uh, yeah. Migraine, vestibular migraine, you know, tried all these like migraine diets, tried all kinds of nasty drugs that are supposed to help, you know, had four MRIs, didn't show anything, mm -hmm. uh, all kinds of blood tests. Nobody, nobody can figure out what it is. Yeah. Um, so that goes on for most of 2015, just kind of trying uh, migraine drugs. And I did uh, vestibular rehabilitation therapy, these like, you know, head movements okay. that you do. And, um, you know, I guess I'm like a pretty disciplined guy. Like when I have a goal, like when I want to achieve something, like I'm pretty disciplined about it. And so like, you know, if I had a protocol, like I'll be damned if I didn't follow it, you right. know? So if I'm supposed to do a head movements for, for an hour and a half a day, like I did it, you know? Yeah. That wasn't, that wasn't um, <clears throat> prohibitive for you to have something that was intensive. And were you working still at this point or yeah. had you been taking some yeah. time off? How was that no, going? No, still, still working. I mean, obviously my, um, my performance started to slip a little bit and my attitude started to <laughs> slip and like the energy I was putting off, I'm sure it wasn't super positive, but yeah. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't drop out of any, I, I kept my full course load, um, that that's the next spring, mm -hmm. um, for, for classes that semester. And I, I did finish my dissertation and defended my dissertation and, and all that stuff all, all while being sick. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think it was the next year. So fall of 2015, uh, I think I cut back on my classes a little bit. I went from like four to three a semester. Um, so I don't know if you have any questions about that. Um, I have one thing that I just yeah. thought of to remember, which was you mentioned much earlier having had uh, GI problems while you had some other mm -hmm. stuff and had those kind of resolved or was that another like low burning issue, basically? I, I call that still a low burning issue. Okay, yeah, so it's I, happening. Yeah, never really been resolved. And and the sleep problem is still persisting too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So all it's this. like perhaps unrelated things, certainly unrelated body systems in the way that you maybe feel them, but they're mm -hmm. starting to layer in. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess that gets us through two thousand fifteen, just you know, every day hoping I'll wake up and, and feel better and, and not yeah. feeling better. Just like what the hell is wrong with me and and uh, but just continuing to work as much as I had. Mm -hmm. um, but like uh, my social circle starts to shrink at this point. You know, yeah. it's like people would invite us out to, oh, you guys. I remember I had this great plans to, to go to karaoke with like some friends and was really excited about it. And I was like, well, let's just let's push this back a week. You know, I'm sure I'll be better next week. Mm -hmm. And you know, someone will invite us to dinner and we'll say, no, let's let's you know, let's try. Let's try next weekend. And just always expecting for things to, to, to just kind of magically clear up and get better, you know? Yeah. I've spent 40 years feeling normal. Why, why would I not, you know, feel normal again? Um, right. And why wouldn't you recover when you always have before? Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, you know, but after a while, people kind of stop calling you, you know, if you keep saying no to social mm -hmm. events. Yeah. And so we get to... Yeah. So we get to January of 2016 and I can't even remember why I went to see this doctor. Um, I guess I just heard she had a great reputation and I'm, I'm not going to say her name because, uh, she, uh, she treats Lyme basically against the law. Yep. Um, 
Texas. Sure. Um, and so I don't want to get her in trouble. Um, I'll say she's Dr. S. So I, I went and saw Dr. S in January. And within like 15 minutes of talking to me, she said, well, have you been tested for Lyme? And I said, yeah, I've definitely been tested for Lyme. She said, well, show me the tests. And I did. And she said, that's not that's not sufficient to test for Lyme. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to do a blood draw today. We're going to do a bunch of tests. And I, I think you have Lyme. Um, it's very endemic in Wisconsin. Um, you know, I never had a rash, never was aware of a tick bite. I'm, I'm not particularly outdoorsy, but, you know, that doesn't mean I don't have Lyme. Right. So within about, you know, a, a week or two, whatever, I get a call from her office one morning and they said, you have Lyme disease. This is a clear diagnosis. Um, you know, 100% certainty you have Lyme. And I remember that morning distinctly. I'm just, I'm so thrilled. I'm so happy. I'm just like, oh my God, I have a diagnosis. Like finally. And they made it seem like, oh, you just, you know, take two or four weeks of antibiotics and you're going to start feeling better. Yeah. And, you know, Boy, was I wrong about Lyme disease. It um, is the, so complicated. <laughs> it is so complicated. The politics around it are super fraught. Uh, yep. You know, like the CDC here in America doesn't recognize chronic Lyme as a real disease. So this is why Dr. S could get in trouble for treating it. And this is why, you you know, she basically she basically lies on the forms that she submits to uh, to insurance companies so that we can get medications yeah, covered to get some stuff covered. So, yeah, yeah, as my wife said a few times, like she she may go to jail, but she's not going to hell. You know, she's trying to help <laughs> patients. Yeah, have you watched the documentary um, "Under Our Skin" about Lyme? Just I have yeah. out of curiosity. I don't need to talk about it specifically, but that one piece of it where there's like a bunch of practitioners and some of them lose their license over the course mm -hmm. of it, and you're like, yeah. oh, mm -hmm. geez, that's really what's happening. That's well, it's but so at tough. This point, like for a while, I was just like really de defensive about like, oh, chronic Lyme, like it's a real thing. It's a real thing. But now I'm not sure it is. Like maybe the people that deny chronic Lyme are actually correct. Yeah. Because how many people do you and I know who've been treated for chronic Lyme who just never get better? Yes. You know, I mean, I know people who take antibiotics for five years and don't get better. Yeah. Yeah. So, so maybe... Maybe it's, you know, maybe the diagnosis is wrong. Yeah. Um, and and it's think, not chronic Lyme. Yeah. And I think what makes me so frustrated in the middle of that debate, because I'm kind of, that's kind of where I am too, of like, I don't actually feel like I'm on a side because on the one hand, I've talked to lots of people who have at one point been diagnosed with Lyme and are either getting treated or not getting, or no longer getting treated or whatever. And then on the other side, I've read so much stuff with people being like, chronic Lyme isn't real. There is post-treatment Lyme. Like all of those arguments that mm -hmm. we don't need to get into on either side. I'm yeah. like, sometimes it feels like this argument misses the point because from my perspective, most of the people who are being treated for chronic Lyme are definitely sick. And so it feels like what's missing on that other side of the argument, the chronic Lyme doesn't exist. Is it, and maybe this is just what I'm reading, is it feels like a lot of people who are like, those people are malingering, like they are faking. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, you don't have a better explanation. If you right. think that chronic Lyme isn't it, then look for a better explanation. That would be really helpful. Uh, right. So there's a rant that I have. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I totally agree with you on that. And, you know, I, I've been there. I mean, no one's ever said it to my face, but, you know, I, I think people question me. Am I just making this up? Is it all in my head? Mm -hmm. Have I created this as, as some, like, really fucked up way to account for my own, like, failures in life or something? Yeah, it's a midlife crisis you know, disease. Was I just... Was I just so hard on myself that I that I made this happen? 
You know, mm-hmm. I've been saying for years, like something is wrong with me. And just because 17 doctors haven't figured it out doesn't mean that it's not there. Yeah. You know, doctors are not infallible. Right. Um, right. You, you know, you got to take everything they say with a grain of salt and you have to do your own research and you have to be your own advocate. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm getting treated. So I start, you know, taking lots of antibiotics and even had a pick line for a while to get IV antibiotics. And, you know, this is kind of interesting. I, I want to tell a, a, a brief story about, about my wife. Um, she's nine years younger than I am. Um, and like a month or two before her 30th birthday, so this would have been 2012 when we were still in Madison, she started to get, like her knees started to swell up really badly and to a lesser extent her wrists and hands. Mm-hmm. And um, she was in a lot of pain and, and you know, it was really obviously putting a damper on her life. And, and she went to, this is, as I said, when we were still in Wisconsin, they tested her for Lyme. Mm-hmm. You know, pretty frustrating that you're a doctor in Wisconsin where there's a ton of Lyme and you don't actually know how to test for it. Mm-hmm. And they ended up coming up with the diagnosis of seronegative rheumatoid arthritis. Okay. Which is a bullshit diagnosis. Um, so she was doing uh, like Embril, and I can't remember the name of the other ones, but these, like she get this pen in the mail and she like stabs herself with, you know, this um, arthritis and, and she kept doing this for a few years um, into into me being sick. And I told Dr. S about this. And she's like, oh, you got to get her in here. She probably has Lyme, too. And so so my wife, Lauren, went in and, and got tested. And and Dr. S says, yes, you you have Lyme and we're going to put you on antibiotics. So my wife gets antibiotics and she did like four weeks of doxy and her swelling goes away and it's, it's gone forever. She's, it's never come back. <laughs> so it seems like Dr. S was correct about that. And, and my wife did have Lyme. Yeah. Or something. Which means something yeah, treatable by doxy. Something treatable by doxy, right? So it's so, not autoimmune. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so that kind of leads me to think that I do have Lyme or I did have Lyme because it can be sexually transmitted. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, so maybe that actually was there or is yeah. there. I don't know. It's just for mine's not reacting to, right. to uh, antibiotics. For whatever so eventually I got a little frustrated with, with Dr. S's office. Um, just They're just like super she's like kind of a doctor of the people like she sees a lot of people and she wants to help a lot of people so her office is just kind of hard to deal with mm-hmm. so i switched to a, a different a different doctor who i'll call dr w for the same reasons um who basically also treats Lyme the same way but i just felt i'd get more personal attention from him and so i started working with him and i guess long story short i, I did massive amounts of antibiotics for about a year mm-hmm. uh Late 2015 to like early 2016. Okay. And IV, it sounds like, if you had a pick line. Uh, I only had the pick line for like six weeks, which okay. seems weird. Why go through the trouble if you're only going to have it for that long? Yeah. It was mostly, it was mostly oral. Okay. Um, and also some like some dietary things and some antivirals and mm-hmm. just a lot, a lot of pills. And had you also, um, were co-infections a part of it? Do you know? Like, had you tested positive for Babesia or Bartonella, or were they treating that well, in the mix as well? Bartonella. Yeah. yeah, mostly Bartonella. In fact, one of my symptoms that I had mentioned was I had a lot of jaw pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's since been resolved. Turns out it was TMJ. Uh, so that's good. At least I don't have jaw pain anymore after I got treated for that. Um, but, uh, you know, they said that's a Bartonella symptom. Mm-hmm. But it turns out it 
CMJ. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I treated for, and it was basically, why am I blanking on the doctor's name? Who's in New York? Uh, Horowitz? who is sort of, yeah, Horowitz. Yeah. So Dr. W is kind of a disciple of Horowitz. Mm-hmm. And so it was basically that, that approach. Yeah. yeah. And that to add an extra plug, cause Horowitz wrote a book called why can't I get better, which mm-hmm. is a really good reference book. I have it somewhere that's mm-hmm. why i can remember it's somewhere near me right now and it's incredibly mm-hmm. helpful for just like mm-hmm. understanding what people are talking about frankly with all the layers because it is this his msids model multi-system inflammatory mm-hmm. yeah DS. anyway so that's horowitz as an aside yeah. yeah so i don't know we're, we're kind of fast forwarding here but i don't know if you have any questions about about this kind of period. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still working. Um, yeah. I, at the end, of, I, I ended up teaching for four years at U of H, uh, three of which I was really sick mm-hmm. and I'm still applying for jobs. Um, I had like one campus interview at, at the school and, um, in Ohio that like, if, if my life had been different, it would have been an amazing job for me. I right. would have loved to have gotten that job and been working there. Uh, breaks my heart that I wasn't, mm-hmm able to I didn't get the job and you know I think I would have if I hadn't been sick um right it impacts I wasn't I, was, your I wasn't telling people up. that I was yeah I was yeah. I wasn't telling people that I was sick but I think you could just tell something was off with me you yeah know? it impacts it kind your of... enthusiasm and your cognitive function and all of these things that I feel like would be hard to yeah. fake on a job interview yeah for sure and and the the job interviews for academia are really grueling it's like you know it's like 12 hours of of interviews and teaching classes and, mm-hmm. you know, so. Um, and I feel like a lot of panels, I am not in academia, but I feel like <laughs> when I hear about it, it seems to be a lot of like five person panel interviews and stuff. Yeah, for sure. You're sitting on one side of the table and five people are on the other side uh, peppering you with questions. So, yeah. so mm-hmm. I guess that didn't go well. I actually thought it went great and I thought I was going to get the job offer, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually I, uh, made the decision that I, I just, I couldn't keep teaching. Um, I, I wasn't performing as well as I wanted to, and I just kept cutting back my classes and the way it works, uh, at least at U of H was it was $3,000 per course and you just, it's not meaningful money. You know? Right. You can't work enough when you're sick for that to, to matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I guess we're up to um, middle of 2016 okay. now. Um, so I decided we're still treating Lyme. Um, I decided to try the naturopathic approach. Mm-hmm. And I heard on your episode that your sister is a, a naturopath. So all apologies. I, I'm not very high on naturopaths right now. That's either, fine so. with me. So um, I'm sure a lot of people listening have heard of uh, Dr. Klinghart. Um, well known for his uh, naturopathic approach to treating Lyme. So I booked two weeks at one of his clinics, Sophia in Seattle. And we headed up there in July. My wife and I headed up there in July of 2016. Mm-hmm. And I don't have very nice things to say about uh, Sophia. Um, I ended up working with them for about a year and I've done the math and that year I spent a hundred thousand dollars on treatments Mm -hmm. um, and did not help at all. Yeah. And I, I think looking back, I don't think they ever had any clue what my actual diagnosis was. Mm -hmm. They just kind of treated me how they treat everyone. You know, they kind of have a, 
they sort of have a menu of, of treatments and a lot of it's very expensive and that's just what they do. Yep. And so this is the point in time where money just starts just absolutely flying out, out the door. Yeah. Um, and I'm very grateful and very fortunate that my, my parents have, have means and they are incredibly, I mean, their generosity is just absolutely bottomless mm-hmm. and um, they just want me to get better. Yeah. I'm getting emotional here because um, yeah. I just I'm so grateful for for what they've done for me, um, helping my wife and I. Like literally, we would not have food on our plate and a roof over our heads, much less be able to treat if my parents were not so generous. Yeah. And this is not to say anything. My my wife works. She works really hard. She works a lot. Um, uh, she works for an estate sale company. She doesn't make a lot of money. Um, when you're doing these kind of treatments, like it's. You know, even if I was working full time as an academic, like it wouldn't be enough money. Right. And most of it, especially when you're talking about that kind of stuff, but anything with chronic Lyme really in this whole field is probably not going to be covered by insurance or barely going to be covered by insurance. Definitely not. Yeah. yeah which sure. makes it even easier, kind of, frankly, for them to price gouge. Like everything is so expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, talking to a doctor, it's a. Sophia is, you know, like $350 an hour. Mm-hmm. I think Klinghardt himself is like $800 an hour or something, you know, if you actually want to see him. Mm-hmm. And then it's just all these little things add up, you know, the supplements and tinctures and, um, you know, uh, going driving across Houston to get an IV that costs $150 a pop. And you're supposed to do that every day for two months. Yeah. And um, going to a particular type of massage and, uh, you know, just buying equipment and um it becomes a full-time job as you know yeah yeah um uh so yeah i don't know if you have any questions or want to is there anything so so at this point especially when you were looking i want to just like check in with the timeline so have your symptoms changed at all it was like a lot of headache dizziness gi Mm -hmm. sleep which i imagine would also Mm -hmm. create fatigue if you're not sleeping well um yeah are those still the primaries? Has anything else popped up or changed? Um, if, you ask, even? if you ask me to list my top 10 symptoms, it would be dizziness 10 times. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's basically, that's the whole ball game. Yeah. Um, I have tinnitus in my left ear also that's, that's constant and mm-hmm. probably would be annoying if that's all it was, you know, if that's right. all I had, I'd probably really, but given the circumstances, I don't care. You know, yeah. if I have tinnitus in my left ear for the rest of my life, I really couldn't care less. It's yeah. fine. You'd live with it. Uh, um, and I, I kind of only mention it to doctors because I hope it's like a clue, right? You, you know. Um, and I mentioned the jaw pain. Um, as I said, I eventually got treated for TMJ, and that cleared it up. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's that's good. Uh, I've been sleeping better, I guess. Um, I've been doing a lot, a lot to try to help with sleep. Um, I've gotten really into like meditation, which I actually think has helped with sleep. Um, um, yeah, the GI stuff was really bad when I was on antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd it's, imagine. It's, it's better now. I've just really stricted my diet and um, mm-hmm. I was doing and, a lot of bone broth for a while, which I think helped. Yeah, I was going to say. And what does that look like? I'm super interested in diets, not in a prescriptive mm-hmm. way, but like as people find out what works for them, that really mm-hmm. interests me. So bone broth, that's a Yeah, bone favorite. broth. I, I mean, basically, I'm gluten-free, dairy-free. And I try to keep sugar pretty low, but I do have a pretty vicious sweet tooth, so gotta have some chocolate, you know. Yeah, I eat an inappropriate amount of sugar-free chocolate, I would say, which is not <laughs> like you can't eat very much of that because it's 
hard to digest, but that's what yeah, I'm at yeah. on the sugar journey. But no, I mean, basically nothing has budged. I mean, the yeah. dizziness just does not change just mm-hmm. day after day after day. And, and I mean, that's the thing that just like really wrecks my life. I mean, I, yeah. I am very fatigued and I'm, I feel very stressed and very anxious, but you know, who wouldn't after being sick for four years and yeah. you don't know the future you're going to have and what am I going to do to make a living? Yeah. I mean, I spent 10 years wanting, you know, learning how to be a music theory professor and that career has been taken from me. Yeah. Um, maybe I can get back to it if I get better, but you know, there's been people that have been writing papers and right. teaching for the last four, four years, you know, two yeah. years and I haven't. It's so much lost time. It's so much lost time. I, I don't, I don't think I'll ever really be, um, competitive for a tenure try job again, mm-hmm. unless someone just kind of really loves my story. Yeah. You know, um, which I think is a compelling story and, and maybe I can try to use that. But, and as an adjunct, like it's, I, I would definitely teach as an adjunct again, I'd love to, but I have, to, but you have to have another way to make money. Right. You still um, need a main so, source of income. Yeah. So one thing I've done in the course of, of time is, is, um, try to learn how to, how to build websites. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of, I'm sort of Googling like, you know, what, what careers, you know, make a lot of money in the year, uh, you know, 2018, 2019, whatever. And it's like, it's all computing. So yeah. I was like, okay, I'm going to try to learn how to do something on the computer. And it's really hard, you know, but, um, I feel like I'm getting there and I'm going to have shameless self plug here. If, if anyone listening needs a website, um, I'm kind of a beginner, but I'd really love a, a shot to build a website for you and you'd be supporting a chronic illness warrior. So yeah, I, I, can get my contact information through Brianne. So if, if anyone listening wants to throw me some work, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, and so there's been a question like, am I, am I having cognitive issues? And I, I don't know. It's hard to judge that on, on yourself. And mm-hmm. it's really hard in my case because like I'm not using, you know, I spent my whole life being a musician and learning about music and I'm, I'm not doing that right now. Yeah. You know, I, I still do play instruments every day. I have to or else I go crazy, but I'm not, you know, really engaged in that, in that world every day. And I'm trying to learn this new stuff. That's really hard. So am I having a hard time learning computer programming because it's hard and because I'm tired or because I'm cognitively, um, you know, I have cognitive issues. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's Um, a pretty constant issue, it's also hard to compare. Like for me last, when I was very sick now, a year and a half ago, it was like every day was a mess. And I'm now in a place where I wake up and some days, today's a good day, actually. Some days I wake up feeling sharp. I'm like, oh, hello, this is a day where I am working. And some days, like yesterday, I wake up and I'm like, I need to go back to bed. And when you have the comparison within your own life and body, Mm -hmm. then you can identify it again. But I think like cognitive, especially cognitive fatigue or cognitive dysfunction is so hard to identify because your brain is the tool that you would use to identify it. To identify it, exactly. And so if it's not working very well, like that sucks. And I mean, for me, like there's, there's not like good days and bad days. They're Mm -hmm. all the same, basically. I mean, if I slept, if I slept really badly, then, then that will impact my ability to focus. But other than that, it's the same every day. Mm Mm-hmm. And it just gets it just gets so hard to like find the time to like do anything, mm-hmm. um, you know. So like right now, I'm we can get to my current diagnosis and my current treatment, but yeah. I'm doing hyperbaric oxygen therapy every afternoon for an hour and a half for two months. Mm-hmm. So that's roughly one thirty to three, um, and plus driving. You know, so so it's a couple hour thing. Yeah. Um, 
So like I get up in the morning and, and I've got to make, I've got to sort of prepare my day's protocol and I've got to do a bunch of things and take some pills and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, maybe I have two hours between like 10 and noon where I can try to work. And then maybe I have two hours in the afternoon where I can try to work. And like, that's it. You know, there's, there's no more time in the day with, yeah. with the protocol and, and with the treatment. And, and I don't function well if I don't get like a little kind of rest in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And then, so this is a, something that everyone with chronic illness can identify with. Um, you know, the mail arrives and you're just in fear of opening a bill because I've had so many tests and like every day I'm like $600, $62, $940, you know, just open, you're like, what was this even for? Yeah. You know, so like yesterday I, or I guess I got this piece of mail on Friday, but I decided to address it yesterday. Um, I I got this nasty note from a collection agency uh, for nine hundred forty dollars. You know all these kind of threats about what they're going to do to me. And mm-hmm. this was for a test for like gluten sensitivity that like a primary care physician had ordered. Which if I had known he was doing that, I would have said don't bother because like I don't eat gluten and I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. And the test says I'm not sensitive to gluten, but like I know I'm sensitive to gluten. So and if you haven't been eating it, it would yeah, I've been eating anyway. it anyway. So it's. It's yeah. clearly not part of why I'm sick. Um, so I had called this. So the bill is for $940. So I, I called this lab and I was like, look, I, I can't, I can't pay this. What can we do? Can we reduce the price? And they said, oh, sure. No problem. We'll, you know, we'll send you, we'll figure something out. We'll send you a new bill. Well, like next thing I know, I get the bill from the collection agency. So I've got to call this lab and be like, you guys promised me that you were going to like reduce the price. And then the next thing I hear is from a collection agency. Yeah. And it turned out they were really nice about it. And and uh, I'm not going to have to pay him very much. But my point is that that took an hour and a half. Oh, yeah. So much time. You know? And, and that's, stress. that's that's two hours that I had set aside to try to work. Yeah. And and so I lost that time. Yeah. You know? There's a lot of Can't bureaucracy. There's just... a lot of bureaucracy. Yeah. You know, I've. I've had so many conversations on the phone with the with the healthcare marketplace because you know our income is really low, so we should be getting a lot of government subsidies. I didn't file some form in time, so we lost our subsidies, and now we got to try to get them back, and mm-hmm. just all that bureaucracy and all that time you spend, yeah, on just stupid crap, you know. And and you have so little time in the day to to function normally anyway. Mm-hmm. That when you have to deal with things like that, it just kind of blows your whole day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when you so, maybe get to do one thing a day, that's how I feel about yeah. my to-do list. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. some days are nothing and some days I will mm-hmm. do one thing. And if something else like blasts the rest of your list out of the water, stuff can get put yeah. off for a really long time, which mm-hmm. also makes work hard and deadlines hard, I find. For sure. For sure. Not that I'm doing much of that. <laughs> But so, okay. You've got a a podcast now. Yeah, I do. That's my thing that I'm doing. And that's why it's bi-weekly because it's had to be. That's Um, great. Okay. But so I think, I feel like we still are chronologically a little, we haven't caught up to present yet also. Yeah, we're still so. So you had gone to the the naturopathic clinic. Yeah. Tried a lot of stuff. Looking looking back in in time and and being angry and bitter doesn't do anybody any good. So I, I just try not to think about it, but I am. Yeah. Anyone listening, my advice, don't go to Dr. Klinghart's clinic. Um, not see, helpful. See a real doctor. That's just my advice. Yeah. I'm sure he's helped a lot of people. Didn't help me. Complete waste of time and money. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really wish I hadn't made that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's all I'll say about, about yeah. Sophia. Um, so we're, we're done with that. 
And I guess for a while, I didn't really know what I, I guess I didn't kind of have a treatment for a while or a yeah. diagnosis. Um, you kind of run out of wife, things to try sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's always B venom therapy. That's know, true. At some point. And no um, celery juice. And, you know, I want to say that, like, my wife has just been incredibly supportive and incredibly loving and, and just, um, you know, she and my parents and, uh, you know, a couple of friends who check in on me, um, if it weren't for them, I don't know where, you know, I don't yeah. think I'd still be alive, honestly. Yeah. But, you know, she she's she's had a few moments where she's kind of freaked out and totally understandable. Um, and I think she's kind of wanted me to, like, take a break from treatment, like, just stop stop for six months and see what happens. And that's, I think, you know, that's really hard to do, you know, intellectually, I can say like, okay, well, that's a good idea. But you always want to like, maybe the next thing is going to work or the next doctor is going to figure it out. And if you're not doing anything that then there's, you know, there's always hope like next week, I'm going to feel better. But then if you're not doing anything, you kind of lose that hope. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that can be really damaging to the to the old psyche. Mm-hmm. I also think it's hard maybe it depends on, I guess, who's around you. And it's interesting uh, coming from your wife, because I feel like not from not from my spouse, not from my husband, but like other people in my family, they also want to know that I'm doing something like they want to know what the plan is to get better. And I just like, I also imagine being like, Oh, no, I've decided not to have a plan for a while, that that would open up a bunch of difficult conversations at least because of who the people in my own life are but i'm sure that's different yeah. you know person to person yeah. family to family but it's interesting to think about mm-hmm. yeah yeah so, so for me it just i i have to be like working towards that goal yeah you know or else um but i, I guess even in, in that i tried a dnrs for a while dynamic neural retraining uh-huh. System. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, it's it's basically a, a meditation practice, of, like a positive visualization practice of like you're visualizing like a day like six months in the future and and, and how great things are in your well. And, and so I was doing that for a while. And again, didn't didn't help. I mean, the answer is always the same. Nothing has helped. Right. And so let's see. I guess we are now summer of 2000, 2018. Okay. Um, and at this point I've, I've stopped, I haven't been working for a while as an academic and, uh, haven't been seeing many friends. Um, you know, my wife and I really, you know, rarely go out because it's just really hard for me. Um, with my symptom, the, my dizziness, like, uh, large indoor spaces are, are really challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, going out to like a restaurant with all the noise and all the, all the visuals, it's, it's, it's really miserable. Mm-hmm. Just is not fun at all. Um, so uh, I guess my dad kind of convinces me to give like Western medicine another try. And, um, you know, like I said, I am from Houston. So, I, you know, I, I know a lot of people here. My family knows a lot of people. So he kind of puts me in touch with, with some people who, uh, you know, can maybe try to help me find a, a good doctor. So I kind of get back in the Western medicine groove. And um, one of the doctors I saw uh, here in Houston is a woman named Nellie Gross, who's um, she's kind of half uh, MD and half a like, Chinese practitioner. So kind of interesting. And she spent a lot of time with me and I have a lot of nice things to say about her. Um, and she was also really honest, you know, which I appreciate. She's like, I don't know what you have. I don't know how I can help you, but I want to do like one group of tests um, from a place called Cyrex Labs, which is kind of tries to be kind of a catch-all for like what is your body reacting to. Mm-hmm. 
And so she did this test, and the only thing it came up with was uh, aspergillus or aspergillus. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, which mm-hmm. is a type of mold. Yeah. And so she said, um, I think you need to you need to go find Dr. Shoemaker, Richie Shoemaker, go to his website, call him and, you know, look into that. Mm-hmm. And so this was, uh, as I said, like last summer, or, uh, I don't know, July or August or something of last summer. Um, so I did. I contacted Richie Shoemaker's office and he doesn't treat patients anymore, but he, he does kind of help. Um, like you consult. Know, Consult, yeah. So I've talked to him a few times. He said, here's, you know, nine blood tests you need to go get. And I got the blood tests and talked to him, and he said, you have SIRS, chronic inflammatory response syndrome. You are sick because of mold exposure. You have the genetic markers. You have, you're not a perfect picture, but these blood tests, you know, really reveal, I mean, he, again, 100% certainty. I'm, I'm certain this is what you have. Yeah. Um. And so I'm not as excited this time about it because I'm much more skeptical. Yeah. And you've already been through the Lyme debacle. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that informs. (laughs) But so one of the things that he had me do is this special kind of MRI called a neuroquant. And I'm sure some of your listeners have heard of this. It basically measures the sort of the size of various parts of your brain compared against other people your age okay. uh, or like the overall volume of your brain. And, and if certain parts are larger or smaller then what percentage they should be. Mm-hmm. I actually had to go to Fort Worth to get this test done, which is strange because Houston's supposed to be this awesome medical city. Um, so I went to Fort Worth and got this MRI and um, getting this MRI interpreted by Shoemaker and an, another uh, SIRS doctor, who I'll, I'm sure I'll talk about, uh, Craig Tanio, who's actually who's treating me now. Um, and it was really very frightening, but also very validating. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, my brain looks like an Alzheimer's patient or PTSD or someone who's had a lot of concussions. Mm-hmm. Certain parts of my brain are have shrunk by quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would explain, you know, mood issues. That would explain dizziness. That would explain cognitive problems. It would explain a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So it's really scary because, like, my brain is literally damaged yeah. according to this test. Right. But also validating. Like, I told you something was wrong with me. Yeah. Like something you know? showed up finally. Mm-hmm. Even yeah, yeah. If it's something scary. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, as I said, Shoemaker doesn't treat patients anymore, so I uh, kind of searched within his – he's got a bunch of trainees, and, and um, it was actually after he saw the NeuroCon, he said, I think the guy you need to see is Craig Tanio, who is in uh, Miami, actually Hollywood, Florida, so I'm, I'm now working with him. Um, my wife and I went there in mid-February, so just a couple months ago, and mm-hmm. saw him and started on, on his uh, treatment plan. Was that your first time seeing him? It was. I talked to him on the phone a couple times, um, but I'm I'm like a month into his treatment protocol now. Okay. Uh, And what does that look like? Um, Primarily, it's uh, Dr. Shoemaker discovered that this cholesterol medicine called cholestyramine um, works great as a binder. Yeah. A lot of people know about binders out there, and in fact, I did a lot of a lot of binders uh, when I was working with Sophia. I know it's supposed to grab bad right. stuff and pull it out of your tissues and out of your body. Um, so it's a lot of cholestyramine, like four times a day. 
And it's challenging because with binding, you have to wait like an hour after you eat, an hour, before, you know, half hour before you eat. So you have to yeah. find these big, you know, these big spaces in the day. In fact, um, yeah, just for realism, I'm going to drink my polystyramine yeah. right now while, while we're on the air because it's time. Do it. It's hard, especially if you have any other medications or supplements that also mm-hmm. have food or non-food requirements. Yeah. Because you're mm-hmm. like, okay, I need to wake up and take something and then wait an hour to eat yeah. and then eat and then yeah. take more stuff and then wait two hours until I have an empty stomach mm-hmm. again. Yep. I always end up, like, I forget if I'm on, if I'm pulsing something. Right now I'm pulsing something that I have to take 10 minutes before food, two hours after. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to keep talking while you finish mm-hmm. your thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, by the third day, never the first day, I always remember the first day, but by the third day, I'll be like, oh, shit, I just had a snack. There's never a time when I haven't eaten for two hours. <laughs> right, exactly. Because that's not oh, what I my just, life is like. I just screwed up this round of binding, and I've got to wait another hour and a half. Yeah, <laughs> or I have to stay up later. I have to stay up later just to take the stupid thing, which well, you know, I don't I, do I think one. I think one message that is important, and this kind of builds on what I said earlier about like being kind to yourself, like you don't have to do your protocol 100%. Like, yeah, you're not going to be better tomorrow because you got this one round of binding in. Yeah. You know, if you don't, if you miss a round of binding, like you miss a round of binding. Yeah. You know, don't be hard on yourself. Don't don't make this another thing to beat yourself up about. Right. And especially if um, you have the like perfectionist tendencies, which right because you were talking about that earlier, and I think a lot of people <laughs> do. That's... I think a lot of people that end up really sick do actually. <laughs> I think that's an interesting would be an interesting research topic for some for someone. Yeah. And it also personality it's to, to people who get, end up chronically sick share. Yeah. yeah. Or like who end up in these rabbit holes. Because the other thing mm-hmm. about it, just as much as like just eating, is it makes it hard to do things. Like it can already be hard to leave the house for all kinds of reasons. If you're tired, if you're if you're hurting, if you're da 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 da. And then you also have to like bring all of this junk with you just in order yeah. to stay on your timeline, which is like. Right. So small, but it's one more piece of cognitive overhead that can be frustrating mm-hmm. at times. Yeah, and traveling. I mean, my God, all the yeah. stuff you have to take with you if, if you go traveling. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so the, the binding, he wanted me to do hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which uh, can help with a lot of things. Um, it's supposedly going to help me with cognitive issues, which, again, I don't, I don't know that I'm having, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's easy and um I, I got a pretty good deal at 35 a session um but he wants me to do 40 sessions as quickly as possible right which is a lot yeah so it's basically five five sessions a week for two months um mm-hmm. and again that's a big chunk of the afternoon yeah um, and it, it adds up in terms of the in terms of the price of course yeah, sure. um so i'm doing that um uh what else am i doing with dr tanio uh there is a nasal, uh, a sinus infection called Marcon's, and I am going to get it wrong if I try to say multiple antibiotic resistant, something, something, something. Um, I don't really understand what it is or how it relates to uh, to mold illness, but it um, he wants me to, to clear that out. Um, so it's basically like you do a nasal rinse three times a day um, with like there's this new machine called a navage it's a terrible name but um it's kind of like a mechanized neti pot mm-hmm. and my wife was having to do that too because she had her test for marcons and um and you know it turns out she has it as well so mm-hmm. there's that um what else with dr tanio um i should have had my protocol here next to me um 
Okay. Uh, clean, cleaning the house. Cleaning the house is big. You know, we, we spent a lot of money. We're, we're renting a house here in Houston that was built probably in the 60s. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty old and, you know, it's always rainy and always humid in Houston. So mold's a big problem. Um, so we've had the house tested in numerous different ways. And actually, I think the house came out pretty well. We ended up replacing all of our AC. I hope my landlord doesn't listen to this. Um, we had end up replacing all of our AC registers and we're just cleaning. We're just keeping the house as clean as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, got some air filters going. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and we're hoping that we're going to do another, another test for like mold and hopefully it'll, it'll be our, it'll be lower after all the cleaning we've done. Mm-hmm. So, and this isn't where you were living when you first got sick, right? No, I was so, just about to talk about that. Yeah. Um, the the clinical story this this diagnosis makes a lot more sense to me than than Lyme ever did or any of the other ones and so you know I, I I I'm really trying to be positive and 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 right now my 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 feeling is if this diagnosis is correct I'll be getting better within the next six to eight months mm-hmm. that's I think that's right um, and I believe in this diagnosis more than I've it just feels more more correct to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is sort of the clinical story. So we talked about how I started to sleep poorly and have stomach issues when I moved to Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. So the building that I worked in there, uh, the Moss Humanities Building, is this horrible, like, ugly, you know, rundown building that was built in the late 60s, early 70s. And, like, especially during the winter, I when I left my office for the day, I could not leave any books or papers on my desk because it literally rained from the ceiling. From my uh, condensation, yeah. So there is no chance that this building doesn't have mold in it. Yeah. You know, if it's it's constantly waterlogged and there's just water in it all the time, there's got to be mold there. Yeah. So that so maybe I started really reacting to mold when I was in Wisconsin. I started to sleep poorly, and I also I was involved with the uh, uh, sailing club, University Sailing Club, for a while. So I was in and around the lake when there was red, uh, blue, green algae. Is that what it's called? Maybe, yeah. When there's blue, blue green algae, which is a biotoxin. Um, okay. And then the first house we lived in, this is actually the third house we lived in in Houston. Mm-hmm. The first one we lived in was by far the crappiest. Um, the landlord just did not take care of things. I know for a fact that house had been flooded a few times. Mm-hmm. I have, it kind of smelled musty. I have no doubt that that house had, had mold in it. And yeah. that's when I got sick. Yeah. So I think most of my exposure is in the past. Right. Um, but you still just have to keep your environment as clean as possible so that you're pulling more out than you're, than you're taking in. Right. Essentially. And, 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 and the better you can make that ratio of what you're pulling out than what you're, than what you're taking in, then the faster you should be able to recover. Mm -hmm. So clinically the story makes a lot of sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, but you know, I still have a lot of skepticism. Um, I don't care what tests I take or how many letters a doctor has after their name. If they tell me I have a, a diagnosis X, I will believe I have diagnosis X when the treatment designed to help diagnosis X makes me feel better. Right. And that's it. There's no other evidence I will accept at this point. Yeah. You know, I've said that basically exact sentence to, to Tanio and, and he gets it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because it's um, such a ride. I mean, and you talked about it a little bit about like if you're not doing anything, then you lose hope. But it's also true that like it's such a, an exhausting journey every time you get a new protocol or you find a new doctor and you're like, maybe this is the thing. And then if it's not, you're like, OK, OK, be cool. Like we can find something yeah. else to try. I mean, I don't know how like mentally I will deal with it if like six or eight months from now, this is not helping. Mm-hmm. You know, I just I don't I don't know. I, you know. 
Yeah. I feel like I'm kind of getting towards the end of end of what, what options I have and what I can do and right what I, to look into. I don't, I don't know what I'll do. You know, so I'm just trying to think really positively. You yeah. Know? Well, and like with mold, have you okay? Have you been down the mold rabbit hole the way that it sounds like you did for Lyme? Like, because I would say. It also has a lot of interesting internet communities, for example. They both do. Yeah. Of like people and all the stuff that I'm not advocating this. I just know from experience. Mm -hmm. It's like, um, have you read Through the Shadowlands by Julie Raymeyer? No. She, uh, I actually just interviewed her, which is exciting for me. But she wrote a book. um, It's a a memoir. But so she's like, she was a science writer. I think she went to MIT at one point and she like was writing a math column and she got sick with basically, I think she was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and she started mm-hmm. researching and whatever and going through all of the things that people go through. And mm-hmm. she ended up, I think through the internet and this would have been like five or six, no more than that. This would have been almost a decade ago, I believe. And she also fell into mold stuff and it was like mm-hmm. Schumacher was out there writing, maybe even still mm-hmm. training people at the time. But just like mm-hmm. there are communities of people who are like the only way to get clear the, to cure yourself from mold exposure. I don't even know the language that they would use is to go and be completely away from mold for two weeks. And they call it a mold sabbatical. And mm-hmm. you like go and camp in the desert and everything has to be clearly new or not. Maybe not new, but definitely not mold <clears throat> exposed. So like all of your gear, all of your clothes, yeah, all of your whatever. Right. Yeah. That, it's a whole rabbit really... hole. Yeah, I haven't really heard about that specifically, but there are a lot of questions about, you know, some people say, oh, you have to throw away everything you have, every, everything you have this porous, every book, every paper, yep. every piece of clothes you have, got to get rid of it. And yep. then I think Shoemaker himself is like, that's, that's absurd. You don't have to do that. Um, I am washing all of my clothes in borax, which is supposed to kill mold. Um, yeah. And as I said, we are cleaning the house, like, you yeah. know, every single thing in the house we're cleaning, we're putting a lot of books away. We're not, we're not throwing stuff away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm trying to, it's my, it's the skepticism thing. Yeah. Like I'm trying to straddle this line between, I want to give this protocol the attention that it deserves, but at the same time, money is a major problem. Even, you know, I, my, my, even though my parents are just so incredibly generous and they continue to help support us. Um, I can't just be like, oh, I'm going to spend $5,000 having all my clothes sent to this place that, that, that cleans it from mold. Or I'm going to throw and, away every single one of my belongings. Or I'm going to throw away our $600 sofa and our $300 sofa and our, and our, and our, and our bed and, and, and I'm yeah. going to move. I'm going to like, you know, find a house to rent that was built like five seconds ago. Yeah. You know, we ju- I just can't spend that money and that time until I know that this diagnosis is correct. So if I get like a crack of light and I start to feel a little bit better and it becomes obvious that mold is the thing, mm-hmm. then I will throw away every bit of clothes I have if, yeah. if I have to. I'll do anything to get better. Yeah. But you also have to have a ske- healthy skepticism and, and you have to, you just can't. You just can't go whole hog on everything. Like I think the mistake I made with Sophia was that anything they said, the answer was yes, mm-hmm. no matter what the cost, no matter what the effort. And I, I just can't do that anymore mm-hmm. uh, financially and mentally. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's one of the hardest things about it, on top of the actually living with sometimes debilitating symptoms, is like this mental math of like what's worth it and what's not worth it. And... I don't want to be so skeptical that I don't try something that might help me, but I don't want to try absolutely everything because probably there are people out there who don't know what they're talking about. I mean, definitely right. there are people out there like that. Right. 
And it's like with what you were just saying about getting rid of all of your belongings. So we definitely lived in a moldy house and my moldy house definitely made me sick. And Mm -hmm. we did not get rid of all of our belongings ultimately, but we had put them in storage for, Mm -hmm. I don't know, three months or something after we left the house. But it's Mm -hmm. like every time I'm doing so much better than I was in that house. No doubt. There's no doubt in my mind that mold had an impact. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not. That that helps me to hear that, honestly. Yeah. I will say that. Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind that like, and I went through, I did not take cholestyramine, although I've heard of it. I did take a lot of glutathione, which is like helping your Mm -hmm. liver process stuff. Right. It's not as I did. Oh, actually I took a lot of um, antifungals. So I took like nystatin and uh, Mm -hmm. fluconazole. Anyway, Mm -hmm. but we didn't get rid of all of our stuff. And it's like, every time I start to feel a little bit worse, part of me is like, is this because I didn't get rid of all of my clothes or we didn't get rid of all of our books? But it's unknowable is the other thing. Yeah, right. Like, right. So I'm, yeah. I'm with you on moderation, but it's hard. And, you know, the, the problem with like SIRS is that the only research out there is like by Shoemaker and his people. So you Google anything about mold illness and SIRS and it's like you get his website, yeah. you know. And so there's kind of no way to sort of double check that. Yeah. Um, Although, you know, I'm, I am seeing a primary care physician here in Houston who's a really great guy and really thorough and really wants to help. I think he kind of doesn't know what to do with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of use him as like, does this seem like sound science to you? And, yeah. you know, he, he feels like it does. So that, that helps me too, you know, anything to build, to build um, confidence. And I, I want to kind of want to turn back to the, to the chronic Lyme thing because, you know, maybe this surge thing is really right in my case. And maybe there's a lot of people who are taking antibiotics for, for, uh, for Lyme and it's really, it's mold or, or, you know, SIRS and like Sophia, they, they tested for mold, but they didn't know the tests to do. Like, why did one of them not read one of Dr. Shoemaker's papers? It's nine pages. It doesn't take long. Yeah. If you, if you're, if you, if every patient that walks in the door, you're like, we have to test you for mold. Why don't you learn more about how to test for mold? Yeah. You know, it's like insane to me. Like they never did the HLA-DR genetic test, which shows I'm super susceptible to that. They never, they never had that ordered. Um, they had me do a real-time labs test uh, where it's a urine test to see if you have mold in your urine, and it came out totally clean. So they said, oh, you don't have mold. But the reason it comes out clean is because I have the HLA-DR gene, and I don't detox mold. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not in my urine. It's yeah. staying in my body, which is where you don't want it. Right. So you can kind of load up on glutathione and do uh, uh, some saunas, and that will get the stuff moving. And then you do the test. Yeah. And I did that, and lo and behold, I had a lot of mold in my urine. Yeah, that it was so, different than without. Like, why don't they not know that at, at this clinic in Seattle? Yeah. You know, again, I don't even want to. Right. No, there's no point in thinking about that. No, um, but it's it's significant. It's I think this is true with Lyme and anything mold related. Is that they're both like fringe ideas right now? Mm-hmm. Who have a couple doctors who are doing kind of all of the work, and then other people who mm-hmm. are following their protocols. Mm-hmm. And it's like there's not really funding available. There's not CDC recognition. There's depending on who you believe there's an active lobby discrediting a lot of the work on these things like there's so much so many so many politics around it that make it so much harder when obviously there are so many sick people there are so many sick people well and i don't want to get like into politics and stuff too much but you know the reason that i'm sick 
probably the reason that you're sick is because our planet is sick. Mm -hmm. And there's just so much pollution. We have so much like heavy metals in our bodies and all kinds of toxic stuff. There's plastic in the food that we eat. Every, you know, everything that we that we eat and drink and breathe has got crap in it that's not good for us. Yeah. And, you know, I think uh, I'm a canary in the coal mine, and you probably are too. I think in the yeah. next... 30 years, there's going to be just millions of people getting sick like this. And yeah. it's going to be a huge burden on our healthcare system. And it's going to be a total disaster. I'm so optimistic. <laughs> yeah, no, I and, mean, you know, I think that I think that, yeah, yeah, it's really something that we, we have to address as a as a society, but we're not we haven't even started to No, so. no, certainly not around this stuff, not in any mainstream way. And it's like all of the things that you can do right now. It's also hard to tell if they're effective. Like as I'm sitting next yeah. to my fancy air filter and like I mm -hmm. only drink water out of my fancy water filter. That... Me too. Yeah. And I'm like, maybe. <laughs> Do you maybe have an air oasis? Is that what you're, is that what you're rocking? No, no. I have a molecule, which is. Um... Oh, okay. I get ads for that on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a Silicon Valley created product. And I have okay. two. Yeah. I bought two. Which is like. Yeah. I've got, I've got two air filters too. Yeah. yeah. And, and this, yeah. this is like the, some of the protocol stuff to me where I'm like, well, I did it because I feel like I had to, because if air quality is a problem, then obviously I want to fix that. But I actually have no idea. I have no idea if this makes the difference or any difference to me, but it should. I yeah. don't know. Well, you've already, it sounds like you've already proven that you, you got out of a moldy environment and, yeah. and that helped. So that would seem to be. Yeah, pretty, pretty big clue for you. Um, yeah, so I'm just looking for in the next like six months. I'm like, I, I don't expect to be 100% better, but I need like a crack of yeah. light to shine through, you know. Yeah. And and Dr. Tanio knows this too. Like you, you've got to prove to me. There's got to be accountability. You need you know, to win. You've gotta, yeah, you've got to prove to me in the next six eight months that this is helping. Yeah. Um, I, one thing I, I wanted to kind of address. I, we're, I'm sure we're probably getting yeah. towards the end of my my tail here, but um. I just want to say to anyone who's listening, who's not sick, but has friends who are sick, um, I just want to beg and plead to people to just reach out to that person, that friend of yours that's sick. I mean, it takes so little time. Just send a text. Be like, hey, man, I'm thinking about you. Um, I hope you're doing okay today. Yeah. You know, it just means so much. It can honestly mean the difference between, uh, you know, between the day. You know, mm -hmm. just to know that someone's thinking of you and you start, you know, your social circle shrinks and you, you feel really lonely and you're isolated because no one can understand what you're going through um, and people stop calling and you just feel forgotten and cast aside and uh, just the, the tiniest bit of effort can mean something. I mean, I've had moments where I just, I've had a lot of moments where I've wanted to die, you know, and, and I've ended up calling the suicide prevention hotline a couple of times. I don't think I would ever actually do anything to myself, but I've thought about it. Mm -hmm. And if you, you know, you never know that your friend who's going through this is having that moment Yeah. and you send that text and it's just the perfect time. And they're like, you know what? I was feeling so bad and now I feel a little bit better. Yeah. So I just, I really wanted to say that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really important reminder. I think like some people talk a lot about, both the mental health side and also like you start to lose your identity. So you talked about that a little bit about not like that you still are able to play instruments, but it's not, you don't engage with music the same way that you used to. Yeah. I'm going to feel like it's like you can start to feel like you're disappearing from your own life because of yeah. all of the things that you did, the people that you saw the moment, like everything that defined who you are yeah. can be taken away from you or you lose them. And it's like, 
I get, I get the other side of it that it's hard for people who are like, oh, well, you keep canceling plans, so I'm just going to leave the ball in your court. Yeah. And you're right. like, okay, but that's not the thing here. And yeah. Like, and, you know, at the same time, I, I don't, I don't want to be judgy about mm-hmm. other people and how, I mean, that's, that's why I said just, if you have a friend going through this, just know that it's, it really means a lot to them. If you, yeah. if you reach out, I don't want to say the opposite and be like, you're being a dick if you don't. No. Because, you know, I, if, if it were me and it was someone else, like, I, Mm-hmm. I I wouldn't understand. I wouldn't get it. Yeah. You know, you can't get this unless you go through it. And like, I can be angry about the way that I was treated by the people I worked for at the University of Houston, or I can be bitter that this friend or that friend never calls me. But I don't think I would have been any different. Right. Right. You know? And um, I think it also like you can send texts, etc. This is there need to be more resources around this actually, <laughs> but like that aren't <laughs> invitations necessarily. You could just be like, hey. I know you don't feel great. I'm thinking of you, which was your example. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But like, you don't have to invite someone to do something if you don't know what they're up to. You can just say, hey, like, that's fine. That's good. Okay. Like yeah. you say, and it can make a big difference. Yeah. Or even, you know, like, I know you're probably not up for coming to this party I'm having, but, I, you know, I, I, we're going to miss seeing you. Yeah. You know, something like that. Just the, the, the smallest bit of effort really, really, really means a lot. And I, and I do have a, a, several friends who who do that, who's just send me texts out of the blue and say, how you doing, man? You know, and yeah. it just, it means a lot. Yeah. Yeah. The relationships side of it, both like romantic relationships and family relationships and then friends who are kind of sometimes just out there mm-hmm. can be such a big element. Like it puts such mm-hmm. a strain on relationships when you yeah. stop yeah. being the person you were in them. For sure. Yeah. I think your phrase of like disappearing from your own life is, is really accurate. Mm-hmm. You do. You're like, who am I anymore? Yeah. You know? I used to be very outgoing and always wanted to go to the party and be the last person to leave. And I'm just, I'm not, I'm not that guy anymore. You know, maybe I will be again. I hope so. Right. But, um, and you know, I've also been, I've started going to church, which is really weird for me. I don't, mm-hmm. I still don't think I believe in God, but, um, I've been going to Quaker church, which is just super, it's just like an hour of silence. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty awesome. Um, and I've been trying to like speak to God or whoever. And lately I've been saying, thank you for this gift of this illness. I've learned a lot from it and it's made me a stronger and a better person, but I'm ready for the next gift. Yeah. 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 So yeah, we just keep fighting, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the thing to do. But that strikes me a lot. Like, I've learned a lot, which is true. I've learned a lot. I'm ready for something new. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm ready for the space to be in the past. And yeah. let, let me learn something new. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, well, I do think we've covered kind of all of my stuff. And you, yeah. I know you brought up a few things. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that is on your mind about chronic illness? I feel like that's um, the last thing you said was so. There's probably a ton of stuff. <laughs> that I feel like we've probably reached a pretty good, yeah, uh, good, good closing point. point. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, thank, thank you, you so much for, for, yeah. for doing this. Uh, I really yeah. appreciate it. Instagram is my only social media that I like allow myself now. Um, yeah. Facebook. Just also, if you're chronically sick, just don't do Facebook. Just no. stop. I know, you know I it doesn't, doesn't help. Um, yeah. I like photography a lot, so you know Instagram. I think I can handle. But um, yeah. anyway, thank you for doing what you're doing. I think yeah. it's really- it's it's been an honor so far to collect stories. I really, I I love it, even if they're you know 
they don't have happy endings they're not supposed to it's just the truth of our lives so well mine's gonna have a happy ending so yes (laughs) but at the time of recording in general i think i think before i started releasing them people were like well i haven't solved the problem yet so do you want my story i'm like yes i do they're meaty that's the whole thing well thank you for collecting my story yeah thank you so much for sharing and thank you for your patience during the first like 45 minutes of nonstop tech issues thank you for listening to episode 29 of no end in sight you can find gareth on instagram at gareth paul tx all one word you can find this show on Instagram at no.n.in.site.pod, no end in sight pod. And you can find me on both Instagram and Twitter at Venice B. I've got many more stories to share with you. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes. I guess iTunes is going away. So whatever the Apple podcast thing is or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've been enjoying the show, I would be so grateful if you could share a review on iTunes so that other people know what to expect. As usual, don't forget that I have a small Facebook group called Chronic Hustlers for people living with chronic conditions who are self-employed. It's quiet but growing, and you'll find a f- you'll even find a few podcast guests in the group. And finally, this podcast is supported by my cross-stitch company, Digital Artisanal. When I'm up for it, I make simple modern patterns that you'll actually want to hang in your home. I love to cross-stitch as a way to feel productive during flares when I'm stranded in front of the television. One of these days, I'm going to get to work on some spring and summer patterns. I'd love it if you checked us out at digitalartisanal.com. Thanks for listening.